The Women of Ill Repute with your hosts, Wendy Mesley and Maureen Holloway. So I have this this belief, this theory, this saying. It's not entirely original, but I live by it. Okay, so I should know this, but what is it? Yeah, you should. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, w- that what doesn't kill you makes you funny. Ah, okay, so a little bit of a different line. I, but I don't know, is that... If it was, then the hospitals would be churning out comedians, right? They'd be doing stand-up in the parking lot. People would come home from war and, and, and do improv. So, no, not for everybody. Well, some people emerge from hospital and do stand-up. But I guess, yeah, I guess largely that's not the case. But, but no. it is, it's, it's a coping mechanism, right? Well, this is my point. If you follow that line of thinking, anxiety which I have, can be a superpower. And if you tackle the subject of your anxiety or, or your fear and uh, you work with it and you turn it around and you get down to the nitty-gritty of it and then you share it through writing or stand-up uh, and people connect and laugh at it with you. Yeah, that's way better than... <laughs> as opposed to, Yeah, with you as opposed to at you. Although they don't laugh at you as much as you think they do, which is what I have found, or maybe they are laughing at me. I just don't know. But then you've conquered it, or at least you're controlling your anxiety. A lot of people who've come on the podcast have sort of dealt with this issue, which is, I don't know, we've seen that a lot. We've had um, Jessica Holmes. She's a comedian. She's tackled depression. Very, very funny. Uh, Alison Dore. uh, She suffered from, suffers from depression. She was addicted to a bunch of stuff too. And Lauren Huff. I mean, she's, she was raised in a cult and she thinks that's funny. Like everything is, is funny. Well, she finds she finds the humor in being raised in a sex cult, but so maybe what doesn't kill you can make you funny. Maybe, yeah. When in our Substack, Wendy and I write uh, uh, for Substack under Women of Ill Repute, and my sign up here, sign up, sign up here, or go or sign up there. Go to Substack, and uh, anyway, I digress. The stories that get the biggest uh, response for me are the ones where I fall down, or the one where I got. The one where I got the fungus in, in my nail and yeah. So how how's that? How's the fungus going? I don't. But I don't have the fungus. Oh, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. the thing. I just have a damaged nail, and now I have to get a, a note from my doctor if I want a manicure. But anyway, it's really stupid. Well, this week's guest, she uh, she'd probably really like your fungus story. <laughs> <laughs> she she really embodies honesty, uh, fearlessness, and she's she's very very funny. Her name is Samantha Irby. She is a hugely popular writer. Uh, if you're on YouTube, you might be able to see her sort of hanging in the bottom of the picture. Her books they appear regularly on the New York Times bestseller list. She writes about everything. And I mean everything. <laughs> she writes about sex and feminism and certain bodily functions. Uh, there's this insane dog that she got during the uh, pandemic. She talks about that. And she's also a TV writer. She's written and produced episodes of And Just Like That, the reboot of Sex and the City. Which was not apparently the dream gig that you might expect it to be, but it's all grist for the mill. Uh, Sam Irby's latest book of essays is called Quietly Hostile. <laughs> which I totally relate to. And she's with us today, listening patiently to us talk about nail fungus. And the fact (laughs) that you don't, you don't like, you don't like doing podcasts. So we're very, very happy that you're doing this one. Oh, you know, I don't not like it. I don't like myself and my ability to 
answer questions off the cuff in a way that both makes sense and (laughs) makes you laugh. So podcasts are great. It's just, it's my own untrustworthy brain. Well, we like you for your brain. And and I think I read something saying that you also don't like being edited. So we just have to tell you that we don't edit anything unless unless you say something really legally. Uh, Yeah. I, I haven't had media training, but I've had enough I can't believe you said that moments to be a pretty good, like self. Yeah. But I mean, are you still now? I mean, it's a double edged sword because you're so forthcoming about, uh, Oh, I want to talk about your newest article. I think it's the latest one about it's okay to hate your body. We're going to get there. But do you think because that's refreshing, but uh, do you think because you go there now, people expect you to go there? It's a double edged sword. I don't think anybody has any expectations, expectations that I'd have to live up to. But I think if I put out a book that had no gross stuff, no butt stuff, no nothing, people would be like, who wrote this? You didn't, you didn't (laughs) write this. This This isn't yours. I don't feel any pressure to, but I know that if I did switch up my style, People would be like, oh, we miss the fart stuff. <laughs> I like the fart jokes. It's the poo stuff. I'm uncomfortable with, with talk about poo. Well, well, wait a second. Where's the distinction here? That is, that's what I'm trying to change. You shouldn't be uncomfortable. Like, are you uncomfortable talking about blinking or breathing? No, no I'm a prude. She is. <laughs> but I don't think that. I think we we just live in a society that makes you feel bad or weird for this thing that you have to do all the time. And then we... Well, I don't. I, I, I never do that. Oh, you don't? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, then I understand why you don't want to hear about it. Because this horrible thing happens to everybody else. <laughs> but I think, like, the more we sort of talk about it and you know, then it starts to lift the stigma, even if it's only among your like family or friends or like, you don't have to, I'm not trying to change the world. I just want people who talk to me to know that um, if I go to the bathroom, it might be 20 minutes and not to make a big deal. Go ahead and order the appetizers. (laughs) I will be back. (laughs) Well, I was, uh, uh, I, I was going to say I was raised by men. That's not true. I was raised by women, but I have two grown sons and a husband. And this kind of conversation, they have their own bathroom uh, uh-huh. just for that reason. <laughs> and so, you know, that's just the way it is. And, yeah. But women aren't, don't grant each other that freedom. No. And it's so sad to me. It is. Like at a public washroom, I will flush the toilet when I'm making any audible noises yep, because I'm too. too embarrassed. To have anybody else hear me do what what other people what I hear other people do. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, you know, I'm not a sociologist. I'm definitely not like smart enough to cite any <laughs> facts. But it is it is a shame that you feel ashamed doing a thing that truly we all have to do and maybe yours are like quick and don't stink great but like long stinky ones have to (laughs) are equally acceptable and you shouldn't feel bad doing that in 
in a toilet that was meant for your poop. <laughs> it's so funny because we're in this like anti-shame era, <laughs> it seems right now, like everyone's saying, get rid of shame, like just be proud. And, and Maureen and I, we both had cancer and we both thought that was hilarious once we found out we we're going to live. We just Well, the, we, there were aspects. <laughs> there were aspects of it. And later, you know, I spoke about it, you know, I, I made it a topic when I was on the speech circuit. <laughs> About, you know, the not the humorous side of it, but dealing with, you know, stuff with humor and, and going there. And, you know, I remember saying I had I've had one breast replaced and then every, I could tell everybody was like, <laughs> which one? You don't know which one. <laughs> the, tr- the truth is it's in the back for dancing. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it was it was very empowering. But I, w- I want to talk about you. This I think it's new to us because I think it just came out last week in your article on uh you don't have to like your body, your body, not your body, one's body, but yes, your body. Our bodies betray us, right? They get sick. They don't conform to the shape that we want. You suffer from Crohn's disease. Our arches fall. It's not even just aging. Some of us are born in, in near perfect packages through just through luck and genes and others are, are born with a hell of a lot of challenges. And yet we're all supposed to love our bodies equally. I understand and respect the sentiment, but I do think it ex- it excludes people who struggle with their bodies for whatever reason. I think it sets a goal that doesn't have to be a goal, right? Like if you come to terms with your body and it's all of its whatever's great, but if you can't, if you just can't get over its betrayal, I think that that's okay. And I think that there should be spaces for people to be like, oh, I feel terrible today and I hate this body. (laughs) And like, it has to be okay for you to say that without someone being like, what about the message you're sending to children? Or, you know, people, whenever you, you sort of do something that's against the majority, people will find a myriad number of ways to try to get you to take it back. And it's like, well, I'm not teaching how to hate your body. I'm just saying that I have a complicated relationship with mine. I just don't like anything that flattens or there's no nuance allowed. I don't like that. I feel like for there to be a, (laughs) not to make a, sex pun but for there to be a top there has to be a bottom right like for if you love your body there have to be people out there who hate theirs and both experiences are valid i just don't like the the kind of like we all should be doing this and it's like well what about the people who can't afford to do that what about the people who can't change their circumstances what about the people who don't have access and I just hate any sort of like blanket statement, even if it's like a good thing, you know, like ostensibly loving your body should be a good, nice thing. But it's okay if you don't. <laughs> if you don't. <laughs> Thank God for your brain, because you've got an amazing brain. Your body might have let you down, but you're... I mean, yeah. yeah. I said if I could be like Krang from the... Ninja Turtles, where I'm just a brain inside a big ass monster. That would be, I mean, it's essentially what I am now, but uh, I'm forced to do human stuff and live a human life. 
I would be happy just being a brain in a jar. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, un- unfortunately, being a person doesn't doesn't work like that. So, what are your tips? We in your book you list a couple of tips. What? How do you how do you survive with just a big brain? I just think you have to get to whatever place in yourself where you can just keep going and understand when things aren't for you or that you don't have to adhere to what people are saying. You know, if you don't ever want to wear shorts, don't wear them. And to, you know, like I dress in a way like I'm wearing all black and I'm, I have on sleeves and pants that like, you know, you walk outside and people are like, what? It's 80 degrees. Aren't you going to burn up in that? You know, like trying to change what makes me comfortable and you just have to kind of block out if you do anything different people will always remind you that what you're doing is different and just like stand in what's good for you i don't like to feel uh my arms like touching other things so i put sleeves on them and that's okay even if it's 90 degrees (laughs) there's just a lot of like not being pressured to conform is the wrong word, but like marching to the beat of your own drummer and like drowning everyone else out. There's a certain amount of irony, I think, listening to you and reading you that you were brought in uh, to write and uh, ultimately produce part of And Just Like That, which is essentially a story of four perfect women, seemingly, you know, white cisgendered women in New York. I mean, they have their problems, but ultimately they were blessed in so many ways. Tell us about that. How, why, why do you think you were brought in? How was the experience? I mean, it's, it's a, there are all sorts of stories associated with this, but tell us a bit about that. Well, I was a huge fan of the original series. I still am. I think it came out when I was like 19 and I didn't have cable. So I waited for the VHS tapes to come out this is in 1999 i would like go to best buy buy a season and then my friend and i would just like sit and watch them so i had always loved the show i've seen every episode multiple times i got the job because michael patrick king who is the showrunner creator writer executive producer read my last book wow no thank you and reached out to my agent and was like, I have to have her work on this show. So my agent reaches out and is like, hey, Michael Patrick King wants to work with you. And I was like, <laughs> shut up. You know what I mean? I was like, get, like, this is bullshit. Get out of here. And he was like, no, for real. And he forwarded me the email and was like, it's real. So we set up a Zoom and I talked to Michael. We hit it off. I mean, really within seconds, like I was wearing this hideous shirt and Michael was like, what is that shirt? And I was like, I know, I know it's terrible. I'm not meant to work on a show about fashion, (laughs) but I got hired anyway. And the experience, I mean, I was like, there's no way they're going to let me like really get my claws into this show right I thought I would punch up a few jokes you know like bring some life and color to the writer's room but we started and they were like oh no this is fully 
this is fully yours too. We all your ideas, let get them out there. So the writers' room is so funny. Like it's great working on comedies because you just do bits all day long to try to make the other people in the room laugh. And in between the bits, it's like, should Charlotte do this? You know, <laughs> and it's it was like a really, really great experience both times I worked on season one and season two that comes out in a couple of days. It was like an incredible experience. If it's the only job I have going forward, fine. Cause it's been like amazing. You were shocked that some, some of the response from, Oh, that part. Yeah. <laughs> that part where people believe they're real people. Yes, that part I was not prepared for. I get it. Going in, I didn't, it wasn't a thing that I had thought about. And like, you never know what somebody really thinks on the internet, right? You don't even know if you're talking to a person. I mean, they were funny to me, like hilarious, like death threats. Somebody called me a murderer because Mr. Big died in the first episode. And I was just like, was that that were you responsible for you that that was a collective idea? I mean, yes. Yeah, it was your idea. Yeah, because you hate him. So you you probably offed him, didn't you? It is <laughs> I your fault. set the Peloton to extra fast <laughs> and it gave him a heart attack. <laughs> but no, I just I wanted to say, and I think it's like because you know, I have a pretty big platform and people can find me, right? And they can't find like, you know, whatever other person in the room. I don't get to make decisions like which character dies, but because they like can't reach Michael, it's like, well, let's tell Sam to kill herself because of it. Uh, <laughs> 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 but, like, I don't know him, but this bitch is right here. Die, Sam. We love Mr. Big. Um, (laughs) If I could, I wish that I could just like write out the hierarchy of like, if I have an idea, all of the filters it must go through before it gets to the screen. And it's like, I'm not in charge. They don't, they don't pay me to make those decisions. They pay me to write dumb jokes that they'll either include or cut. And that's it. I don't really know how to talk about parasocial relationships because I don't really know what they are. I just hear people saying that. But clearly people had parasocial relationships with these characters. And I underestimated or didn't estimate at all what they would feel about the show i mean maybe they just want the show to not exist which is you know whatever but like the people who actually watched it and got mad i just am like what did you what did you want it to be like the posthumous criticism is like you know oh there were no people of color this is new york blah 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 they brought it back and it's like well we'll put people of color in it this time oh but they didn't do it the right way or they didn't do, and that it's like okay. And then if you ask anyone, what would what would you have done? There's nothing, right? They're just like, uh, because no one ever like knows how they'd fix it. They just know how to complain about it. So this was- time around, I do not have Twitter anymore. I deleted it when the first season came out. 
uh, and I've changed my Instagram settings so you can't <laughs> message me. So if people are mad, hopefully I won't hear about it. They can get in touch with us. Yes. They can get in touch yes. with us. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, you have my email. You know you know how to you we'll know deflect. How to get the we'll be the guardians at me. the gate. But you know, I mean, the the hilarious thing about it is because I've only worked on small shows with like small niche shows with dedicated viewers. So not people who are like tweeting die bitch uh after an episode. <laughs> um but like this was the first like big thing that lots of people care about that I've worked on. I mean, I'll keep working on this, but you know, if they reboot Game of Thrones or something and they want to make it funny and they come to get me, I absolutely will not. It's a show they wrecked it anyway, but that's that's a whole other story. Okay, but let okay, but let me say this. What would he and Carrie have done the the season to be interesting. I was really struck by. I mean, the whole Sex yeah. in the City thing is is fascinating, and 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 you did hate Mr. Big, so we are going to hold you responsible for that and send your email to everybody now, so they can contact. No, that was already done. <laughs> that was done, and it would and it and it. No, I completely. I was shocked, but I completely understood how this would send Carrie yeah. onto the next part of her life. She can't live happily ever after with Big. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you want to see her dating. Yeah. You want that that date where she puked in the street. It's like you want to see you that. You want to see that. You don't want to see, see the coffee cups with nothing in them. That kills me when you see a person take a drink of a cup that has nothing in it. I'm like they couldn't have put like a couple <laughs> ounces of water in there just to make it look realistic. <laughs> So she, well, they wrecked it anyway, but that's that's a whole other story. No, I, the most proud, the most proud I am of season one was that scene where Carrie pukes in the street. It was like you can hear the like, you know, that we all do. I was like, yeah, give yeah. Sarah Jessica an Emmy. That is incredible. That's my pet peeve, though. You've written about how how that's a pet peeve of yours, that the, the vomiting scenes are never real. I scream at my TV set all the time because they carry suitcases like there's nothing in them. And they walk back and forth. That's my pet peeve. But yours is the vomit. But Sex in the City, you loved... Carrie, Sarah Jessica Parker, whatever. My daughter, who, you know, is a lot younger, surprise, surprise, than both of us, all of us, uh, and even you. Well, and I would you, hope so. Such a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 heard, I had her when I was 11. <laughs> I, I bought her when she was fully grown. Uh, no, I didn't. But uh, but she, she thinks that Carrie's fake and her whole sexual relationship is fake. And, and she really liked the, the Canadian girl and, and whatever. But I really loved the, so we've had lots of debates about sex in the city and you know it was formative for people who were a little bit older and growing up when it was when it was still fresh as opposed to being wise and young like she is of course but your second or your almost last chapter is about like you've got stepkids and you don't tell them what to do and you don't tell them what's funny and you don't like so to me that's like like I try and say oh my daughter my says that this is this is cool so therefore I'm cool but you're just saying like give up don't don't even try well with stepkids it's uh it's different because like what 
I don't have a leg to stand on if I were to tell them what to do. They have two parents. Their parents can be in charge of all their stuff. I uh, I will say, like, don't hold a knife like that. Like, I don't not talk. We have a great relationship. I just don't parent them. I never had any desire to be a parent to, like, guide anyone's life choices. Like, that's what I think of when I think of parenting. Because, you know, people will, will ask me about this a way that's sort of like you're being mean to the children. And it's like... First of all, these children live in a nice house that I pay for and their lives are great. But like, I don't look at things like we have a full refrigerator or the house is nice or the cleaning service was just here as part of parenting. That's that. Those are things I would like do for myself. I have to have a place to live. So I guess you guys can live here too. But the active parenting, the like, what are you studying? Did you do your homework? I don't want to participate in that ever. I, they don't want it from me. Do kids want it? Like, uh, should parents, like, uh, you offer advice to adults, basically. Don't talk about weed. Don't talk about what's cool. Don't ever send them an email. Well, that's to protect you. I would just want to protect myself in this situation and other adults from being humiliated Uh, trying to get validation from teens but like the actual parenting (laughs) like of course you should of course you should talk to them and ask them what's up but I think being a try hard step parent is only gonna get your feelings hurt that is what I have learned in my like eight nine years of or no I think I've been with Kirsten for 10 years 10 years of knowing these kids is I am not going to get cool points from them. So I don't try. And it has made my life better (laughs) because I don't feel rejected all the time. My kids are so just like casually brutal. Like if you're watching something on TV, they will just get up and leave. And you're like, what about the end? And they're like, Oh, I don't care about this. (laughs) It's like, quietly devastating yeah I just I don't want to I don't step on any mom or dad toes I just I treat them like almost like my friends but they're like my freeloader friends who I have to pay for every time I take them to dinner That's that's what that's what grown children are. They're your freeloading friends. Yes. It's so true. The women of ill repute. Wendy wanted and I want to ask you, uh, I love your list of recommendations, you know, of flip-flops and moisturizer and toilet paper and all these things. And I love this <laughs> as opposed to the, uh, oh, you know, this is my $300 moisturizer and I can't live without my mink-lined slippers. These are practical items. Yeah, I saw one that had a $15,000 watch. Like, what the hell? And it's like, first of all, you could live without that. Second, you have a phone in your hand. Like, that has the time on it. (laughs) Just say the phone. Anything that, and I mean, you may notice a theme if you read my work. Anything that makes regular to poor people feel like shit 
for being regular, poor, having less. I don't like that. Like, I just, so many things are so far out of reach for most of us already. I don't want to read, like, my favorite rapper has a watch that is worth more than my car. I want to know, like, what brand of Q-tips does he like? That's a thing I could actually go out and get. And I can be like, oh, Drake and I have the same Q-tips. Yeah, I love that, actually. (laughs) You know, I hate that shit. That's like, you know, regular people are reading it. You know, like the audience is, you know, people who make $30,000 a year. Don't say that your Rolls Royce is in a central. I mean, say what you want, <laughs> but I just don't like when it's like, you know, my Maserati is a thing that I can't live without. And maybe you can't, but like, talk about that in Rich People <laughs> Magazine. <laughs> I, did, I did send my daughter your recommendations for moisturizer and she was like, yeah, that's great. It's very expensive, but it's because it's $40. That First Aid Beauty, First Aid Beauty Ultra Repair Cream is a miracle and none of my stuff is sponsored like nobody offers me sponsorships probably because i'm too gross and unreliable in the way i would market their product but that first aid beauty cream well poo jokes are they're coming in i think so you know (laughs) i'd go for it (laughs) (laughs) but like everything there are things that i actually use that everyone could get if they want and your purse are your yeah I, I got a lot of stuff your bag like there's all kinds of, i because you suffer from i don't know ocd depression colitis so like you got like a few things a lot so in your purse you've got you, you don't leave the house unless you've got what i don't leave the house without this very specific oh my god i cannot remember what it's called it's the preparation h in the silver tube I don't, the silver tube. You never know. You never know. (laughs) I had some ulcers down there and that stuff was a dream. Well, people in television, they put preparation H under their eyes to get rid of bags. Is apparently Uh, an old thing. I'm going to try that as I am noticing my (laughs) bags. Um, I I have plenty of preparation H. (laughs) Uh, I don't leave without Motrin or, you know, some sort of ibuprofen. I always have a book in my bag. I don't know the last time I've been like bored in public and like took the book out of my bag, unless like my phone, unless I accidentally ran over my phone with the car, but I'm so terrified of being alone with my own thoughts for more than 30 seconds that I must always have a distraction. So usually a book, uh, I like to have napkins. I like to have flow nays because you never know when a nasal irritant will be. It's a big bag. <laughs> and, oh, I carry like a suitcase around. <laughs> I like to have some AirPods just in case I want to pretend to be on a call if somebody's trying <laughs> to talk to me and be like, oh, oh got to go. Mm-mm. Sorry, my accountant, I'm going to tax jail. Leave me alone. Uh, yeah, and wallet, of course. Oh, here's a weird thing. I want to ask you, because I was just thinking about this this morning in the Starbucks drive-thru. I have all of my cards 
in my wallet, that's not normal, right? Like I should have just some at home. No, you don't need to. Yeah, you can actually most, and I only figured this out recently. Uh, is you can you can get most of your cards on your phone. Um, oh, but there are very few that you can't load. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Because uh-huh. I do have a big wallet, and like all my cards are in it. And I was going through it this morning, and I was like, if I lost this, I don't even know all the numbers I'd have to call to cancel. No, you can put them. You can load them all onto your phone. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Just don't lose your phone, See? or then you make sure you bring a chart. Like a that's what something yeah. I've started doing now is you bring the extra battery because you, your phone loses its charge, right? Oh. You know I oh you know I have one of those. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> I know you do. Sam, I don't want to let you go and Wendy doesn't want to let you go. We got to ask you about your dog. How's your dog? Well, he sucks. I just <laughs> I just <laughs> dropped him off at his very expensive but worth it daycare. He goes Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so he can run, 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 and then come home tired. He, I mean, here's the thing. He's healthy. (laughs) I mean, that's the one good thing about him. He's healthy. (laughs) Everything else, he's so naughty. He's so naughty. The other day, I walked in the bedroom, and he was trying to ride one of the cats. (laughs) Like, she was walking, and he's, like, over her. And I was like, what a nightmare animal to have in my home. And he's a chihuahua mix, so he's going to live for like 30 years and ruin the rest (laughs) of my life. No, but he will. He's got little dog energy and he's healthy. He's a bad competition. He's he's obsessed with Kirsten. I could die in front of him and he'd be like, "Mm, R.I.P. But Kirsten, like she leaves to go get something out of the and he panics yeah i just hate that he doesn't love me therefore he is my mortal enemy for life and luckily for me he's a dog (laughs) so i get to mostly be in charge of him mostly (laughs) except for when he's begging me for food or needs to be driven somewhere and i have to take him but he's i mean he has added an energy to the house that we didn't have before. And I'm going to pretend to like that new energy because I can't do anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of sums up a lot of things. Yes. Samantha Irby writes. Yes. About. Yeah, that is my whole thing. I'm just going to deal with it because I have no other choice. Well, we think you're funny. Well, your dog yeah. may not love you, yeah. but we do. Thank we you. love yeah, you. We Thank know. you. I love you. This was great. Sam, you're going to be in Toronto, I think, June 26th. You're, uh, you're um, part of Hot Dogs. Not anymore. I have okay. to, I'm coming in the fall. Oh, okay. My wife just had a big surgery and has to be like driven around. She has like a eight inch incision in her belly. So, oh, but you guys probably use the metric system. I don't know what that is in centimeters. Yes. <laughs> it's about 15 centimeters. We know we what know eight inches are. Listen, I don't know. If you said 
XYZ centimeters, I'd be like, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, I, you'll have to give in eventually. Americans, you're the only yeah. ones left. I know. I wish we would just switch so I could get used to it. At this age, I'm like, I don't, learning new things. It only takes about 20 years. I don't know. <laughs> we better hurry up and change it. But I will be there. So hopefully we will see you in the fall. So we'll keep, uh, we'll, we'll uh, just keep us updated or your, your, uh, your publisher will, and we'll uh, make this coincide. But in the meantime, what a pleasure it is to meet you. Yeah. It was so great. Thank you so much. We love talking to you. Yeah. We love you. Yeah. It's great books. So much fun. And the book is called Quietly Hostile. Yes. And it's the latest from Samantha Irby and you can get it wherever you get your books. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. Good luck with everything. So have fun. Oh, thank you. You guys are so amazing. This was thank so you. fun. Wendy and Mo, my new my new best Canadian friends. Oh well, great! I'm so glad. <laughs> my besties and, and inches. I'm five foot six. <laughs> so there's some things we still measure in the old system for some reason. I can't figure out what my actual height is, but uh, there's centimeters oh, somewhere. Now I can pick. Now I, I can picture it though, because I know what five foot six is. But if you told it to me in centimeters, I'd be like, mm, well, "You're <laughs> very short, tall." More, more. <laughs> mm, yeah, it's more. Thank you, Sam. Are you okay with us calling you Sam? I know it's kind of, we never even got into your dad and your mom and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Well, Samantha is like my, what the lawyer calls me. Everyone else can call me Sam, please. So I think we call you both. So that's good. good. I love it. I love it. So thank you. Thank you, Sam. We're going to trash you now. (laughs) We're not. We're just going to do a wrap up. But uh, thank you so much. Yeah. Listen, be sure to tell everybody that you could smell me through the screen. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when you're trashing, when you're trashing, be like, I didn't know you could make a recording smell like shit. But. Apparently, she just has it coming out of Are you five foot six? I'm. Well, I used to be five foot six. I used to be five five and three quarters, but I'm actually. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm starting to shrink because I'm five foot six, and I think I'm five foot six. I used to be five foot seven, and I think I'm a little taller than you. And that's my takeaway from today's uh, show. I'm still five six, five six, five six. <laughs> No. Are you really? really? Okay, we're going to have to do a back-to-back next time we see each other in person. We have a new best friend, and it's Samantha Irby, and I love her. She's hilarious and open and funny and and just everything you think that she's going to be and more. And we could have talked to her for twice the time. I know. I've got a list of questions here. I wanted to talk to her, but, like, her parents both died when she was 18. I know. There's so much. We didn't talk about What doesn't kill you? What doesn't kill you makes you funny. That's the lesson. Yeah. So she, anyway, there are so many things like the, the parents dying and the advice for stuff. She wrote, she wrote for shill shrill too, which she wrote about, about yeah. being fat. Like, and to me, that's like, it's the, it's the last frontier of uh, discrimination, but she makes jokes about it, which is great. So apparently I'm a prude, but 
Yeah, you're approved. Yeah, but you just wrote about on Substack about uh, not wanting to talk about money. So we're all prudes about different things. Oh well, money, money was. But that's more of a yeah. If that's my my latest piece that's up. Um, although by the time you're hearing this, there hopefully be won't be more. But <laughs> yeah, but there's that. It's one of those things that makes everybody's you know bum tighten up talking about money because it's it's uh it's loaded, right? Well, I don't um, think people should talk about poop. But Samantha talks about poo all the time. She, she writes it into her TV shows, and uh, yeah, 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 she's yeah, she's absolutely. I mean, she's hilariously funny. Her writing is fantastic, and she does go where very few people will uh, will go, and just and but a but really lovely and sweet and kind person uh, while being hilariously funny. Good combo. Yeah, super nice. Women of Ill Repute was written and produced by Maureen Holloway and Wendy Mesley with the help from the team at the Sound Off Media Company and producer Yet Belgraver. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on blasttheradio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's blasttheradio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter.